Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro. And on tonight's show, I have a brilliant, yet again, a sublime, a roundtable of brilliant baseball minds that will talk about all things Toronto Blue Jays. And I have to say, it's been about a week since I've been last on the air. I know a lot of you were wondering where I'd gone to. Sometimes you need to kind of take a break during these dog days, and that's precisely what I did. And in the process, I learned a great deal about this Toronto Blue Jays team, as I'm sure you did, to which the Blue Jays played a grand total of 44 innings in three games featuring the Baltimore Orioles and the Boston Red Sox. And what's interesting is that even though they lost both of these series leading up to this off day, there's no question that the team was competing. Unfortunately, it was competing with the kinds of names and lack of depth that teams like Baltimore and, more importantly, Boston will always find a way to neutralize. And uh, fortunately, names like Richard Urena and Teoscar Hernandez and Carlos Ramirez offers fans a tantalizing glimpse of the future. Because the fact is, this September, which is all about expanded rosters, will now continue to feature glimpses of what we hope will be bona fide talent that can stay with the team, add to its depth, and who knows, maybe improve the speed game a little bit. But more importantly, push management to the point where they realize that by making the right investment in this team for 2018, both financially and in terms of roster turnover, there is a real opportunity to be excited about this Toronto Blue Jays baseball team. I'm, of course, referring to bullpen names that we've seen in the past week, like Rowley and Dermody and Santos and Kohler and Leone and Meza. These are names that have great potential. And with this September, I think what fans really want to see is at least an opportunity to remain hopeful in 2018, knowing full well that at this stage in the game and knowing what we know from Keith Law, who announced Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as the number one prospect in organized baseball, it's only a matter of time before this team gets better. The question becomes now whether 2018 ends up being a reflection of what we've experienced this year or a gateway to a glorious future of quality August and September baseball in many years to come. So it's been a little bit too long for my liking, but we've got a great roundtable for you here this evening on the Jays Journal podcast. Joining me are Sportsnet contributor, writer, and blogger, Dow Steeb, Ainka Jess, founder of She's for Sports, and Chris Henderson, you know him as the site expert at Jays Journal. Let's start with you, Chris. Today was a significant day because there was a tremendous announcement that I'm sure a lot of Blue Jays fans found really intriguing. Keith Law came out, senior writer at ESPN, Keith Law, came out and talked about how Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the confirmed number one elite prospect in all of baseball. Now, I want to ask all three of you, what does that mean, starting with you, Chris, in terms of will this have an impact on the Blue Jays' plans for what they do in the offseason and what their 2018 season might look like, knowing that they, for all intents and purposes, have two of the most coveted prospects in the game? You know, I think that it will impact a bit of their long-term thinking. But, you know, neither – you're talking about the second prospect being Boba Shett. Neither oh, those yeah. guys are going to be significant contributors to the 2018 big league team. So, you know, the front office has come out and said that they want this group to be competitive next season. And, they, you know, they want to take another run at it before they before Josh Donaldson's contract ends. And while they've got all these, young, these other pieces under control – so I don't think that it'll affect. Um, I don't necessarily think that it'll affect next season per se, but I think they obviously have to keep an eye on uh, you know the long term future. They're not going to trade for another infielder with um, you know Troy Zalewski's got a significant time left in his contract. They're not going to trade for another shortstop, um, you know, knowing that they've got other guys coming along. So uh, who knows? I mean, I think uh, I think it's a tremendous, tremendous thing for the Blue Jays organization to have somebody like that and to to know that. Uh, you know, he's still a prospect, but he seems like a pretty much a can't-miss one. So it's very exciting times. Yeah, I agree that it's exciting times. I think as a fan, um, unfortunately, with the season being so up and down and not where we th- how we thought it was going to be, I think keeping these stories in the news, it kind of gives fans that sense that next season's going to be better or the, the season after that, that, you know, we have um, players in, in our, our minor league system that, you know, maybe we're uh, developing and, and hopefully maybe see, we can see them on the team um, starting, um, you know, on that MLB league level. I think it, it's exciting for fans to hear about sort of the other stories beyond what's happening on the field towards the end of the season. That's been horrible. <laughs> 
Um, there's no other word to describe it. it. It just really hasn't gone their way. I think hearing these stories, hearing about these prospects that are a part of our, our J system, I think it's positive for, for fans who are trying to follow along with what's going to happen next year, who who can we tap, you know, in our minor system, who will we bringing up. I think it, it just kind of gives the Jays that sort of continuing story of, you know, it could get better next season or, you know, kind of stay tuned for the season after that because, if they come back next season and, and we get the results that we've got in this season, uh, fans are, are going to slowly start to disappear in the sense of, uh, I know a lot of people that were telling me they're a little bit more hesitant to find season tickets for, you know, season tickets for next, next season. So um, I think keeping these stories and churning these type of stories out, looking at what else is going on with the Jays that are more on a positive slant, um, just definitely helps with fan engagement and helps people kind of stick with them as we ride out the storm. Yeah, and it's really important, I think, uh, for the Blue Jays to have a prospect like this and possibly even to, you know, I mean, uh, I think one of the things over the last uh, five years or so is that fans have gotten a little bit more cynical about uh, talks about prospects. Uh, I think especially for Blue Jays fans who had some success over the last year, uh, last couple of seasons, and, uh, you know, for whom uh, pining over uh, prospects uh, of marginal value, um, I think was something that, uh, that you know, we sort of look at that in a, in a very different light. But I think that, uh, that uh, Vladdy for sure and Bo quite possibly are, um, are, are a different uh, level, uh, maybe even the sort that we've never seen before. I mean, we're talking about... Uh, Vlad, you know, not necessarily being along the lines of, you know, certainly not, it's not a Travis Snyder type. It's not a, you know, Carlos Delgado type mm-hmm. uh, or, or a John Olerud type. I mean, I think that he, he may well be the most exciting prospect that this franchise has ever had. And, uh, and, and so I, I think that there is something there for fans to be able to say, you know, if we can hold on uh, for uh, a year or two or three, that there could be something really special on the other side here. Um, and just, I wanted to pick up on one quick comment that uh, that that was mixed in here about uh, Josh Donaldson and and competing in his last year. You know, there was a comment that um, that was made uh, in in the past week, and I forget if it was Mark Shapiro or or Ross Atkins, but let's consider them the same brain and in two different bodies for the time being. Uh, they, they made a comment along the lines of we, we have, uh, we have some, some good things happening in the system, but we don't have waves of prospects coming. And it kind of, there was a bit of a light bulb that went off for me was the notion that, you know, if, if they perhaps think that, that, 2018 uh, is going to be something similar to to this year. Um, then maybe maybe that does give them some extra impetus to potentially move that last year of Josh Donaldson for something that would be part of the next wave of prospects. Yeah, and I think that's a valid point. And as I was saying, uh, you know, kind of earlier when as I was talking, I was thinking about something else as well too. But you know, it depends, I guess, with Guerrero as well if they see him as a fit at third base long term. You know, that could very much affect, as you're saying, you know, Donaldson could be back on the table this offseason as a trade candidate. And if they do believe that Guerrero could stick at third base, maybe they feel there's a little bit less urgency to try and bring back Donaldson, even if he is, um, you know, the best player that we've had in a long time in this in this system. Uh, Guerrero's going to be a special guy, and uh, and you know, I guess it depends on what, uh, what the return is, as they always talk about with these trades. Well, and it's especially interesting, I think you all agree, that this team to Dow's point, is developing the kinds of prospects that it's A, not used to keeping, and B, certainly not used to expecting this level of attention and hype. Because even if you think back to some of the vaunted prospects of of the last few years, including Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darnot, um, and you look at someone like a, a Norris or a Hoffman, there was a great deal of media attention because naturally when you're part of the Sportsnet Rogers machine that the Blue Jays are an integral part of, you're going to get that focus and, and that praise. 
But I'm wondering this time around, because there was that gap, we just talked about that wave where the Blue Jays used a lot of those resources to compete and be successful in Mm -hmm. 15 and 16. Dow, can we say that there is a chance they could bungle this somehow? Is there the likelihood that not being used to handle, not being used to handling these types of caliber prospects, is there a concern that maybe the Blue Jays won't know what to do and could end up hurting themselves in the process? Well, I mean, I think that one of the things that you would want to take a look at is, you know, if you if you see the the brain trust of this uh, team being uh, Shapiro, Atkins, also Ben Sherrington, uh, and take a look at what you see on the field in Boston, in uh, uh, in Cleveland at this point, you know, I, I think that there's people who have previously built uh, really. Uh, commendable, interesting uh, teams from the ground up with prospects. Um, so I, I, I think that there's I, – I wouldn't worry uh, uh, too much about uh, this being somehow bungled. I mean, you know, part of the, the thing about a team is that um, we remember uh, the failings and, and look at it as, you know, in, in some ways we, we hold – uh, the current administration uh, responsible for everything that Alex Anthopoulos did wrong and, and J.P. Ricciardi did wrong and Gord Ash did wrong. And, you know, so because we've been plugged in through all those years, I think that, you know, there is some turnover now. And I think um, the the previous experience of the people within that administration, um, uh, I think that they've done uh, good work with both of those teams and building them from the ground up. Yeah, you took the thoughts right out of my head, though. You know, I, I was having a discussion last week with a friend of mine, and he was bad-mouthing Ben Sherrington. And, you know, like, why did the guys why did they keep him on the payroll and stuff? And I said, you know, maybe the Red Sox might have struggled a little bit when during his tenure, but look at some of the prospects that they, that they the, the Red Sox brought along while he was a jam there. I mean, you're, you're seeing the fruits of, uh, of that system right now with some of the young stars. And uh, you know I could be wrong about which which ones in particular, but you look at the, the young guys, you know the the Betts and the Bradleys and the all the just the the real core of guys in their mid twenties that are there. Jerrington was responsible, and and his staff was responsible for for drafting and develop, developing a lot of those guys. So I think we've got some great uh, some great minds in the system, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't be worried about it either. I want to talk a little bit about Roberto Asuna. Because once again, he's making headlines, and boy, he's had quite the year, for better and for worse. When his highs are high, he was someone that uh, was repeatedly setting all sorts of records in in both consistency and results. At one point, uh, I believe he was rated in terms of value as the second best reliever in all of baseball based on how the season was was chugging along. And unfortunately, now he's hit a, a, a stage where he now leads the league in blown saves. And there have been questions and criticisms of everything from the way he's being handled to what his future is. And I'm wondering, Ainka, what are your thoughts about a popular argument that once again is resurfacing and will probably surface again in the next two, four, six months until the 2018 season begins? Would you like to see him be used as a starter rather than a reliever, knowing that perhaps that could be advantageous for the team and the athlete? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of talk around Osuna. I think the good thing is that the the, the Blue Jays are standing behind him. I know uh, tomorrow Hill, uh, you know, um, acting manager while Gibbons is out, is saying that we're, you know, we're standing behind him. Players have rough times or struggles, and then they'll bounce back. I think we're hoping he'll bounce back. He's also, I think, 22 or 23, uh, very young, but shows a lot of. Um, uh, he's very cool on the on the field. He, he he's he's great with pressure. So I mean, at that young age, uh, you know, he, he's handling it the best way that he can. I, I I wouldn't say people should write him off right away. I think uh, at 22, you know, and playing more more major league games and playing with the Blue Jays, I, he'll become a stronger uh, player. But I think that you know, it, it, you have good times and you have bad times. I think he's just going through through some bad times. I did also read somewhere. Um, I, I don't know if it was Shapiro or Atkins, and they were saying maybe it's a situation of of not playing him back to back games. You know, trying to figure out that sort of, uh, you know, uh, process with him that he's not playing back-to-back games. But, you know, maybe there's just different solutions that they can kind of come up with to see if they're going to work. But, I mean, I think people should understand he's still 22 and, and, you know, he's probably had a long uh, baseball career. And I I think people shouldn't be too too angry so soon and, and just kind of, 
you know, uh, they, they got to work it out with him. Yeah, I think they, they've really missed the boat in terms of uh, ever uh, making that transition for him going over to the uh, to be a starter. I mean, at this point, uh, you know, you would you would put yourself into kind of a two-year cycle of having to work him up. And, uh, you know, I think that his his stuff, uh, the, the you know, the sheer number of pitches that he can work, uh, I think would be, you know, ideal as a starter. But, I, you know, I'm coming around to the idea that that's just uh, never going to happen. So, um, you know, in terms of what's happened to him this year, I mean – I, I just really do feel as though he needs uh, he needs uh, someone else to to partner with him in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, if you look at the number of uh, competitive teams out there, um, they often have two uh, or even three closer types, mm-hmm. and uh, the Blue Jays you know, uh, really rest a lot on uh, Roberto Osuna's shoulders. And so, you know, uh, in the off season, if there is uh, guys like, say, Luke Gregerson or Brandon Kinsler or whatever who are going to be free agents, and, you know, not to say that those guys are any, you know, uh, great shakes or whatever, but at the same time, they're they're guys who have experience uh, pitching at the back of the bullpen, and I think just someone who can can come in and take a day away from Osuna when he's not right uh, or he's not feeling it. I, I just think mm-hmm. that something like that would be really important. Yeah, and I I would agree with that too, Dow. And and I touched on this topic of him being a starter uh, with an article I can't remember if it was posted uh, whether it was Wednesday or Tuesday of this week. I don't recall, but. Um, I talked about it, and it was funny because I got kind of jumped on on Twitter because one guy said, you know, you're writing an article about him being a starter, but you're saying he should stay as a closer, and uh, which I w- totally was. But, uh, it, you know, my thought kind of is what I said in the article was I, I think that the Jays are, are all in on him as a closer. He's got that mentality. That's where he wants to be. Um, the only way that I kind of see him is uh, converting to a starter um, is if, you know, if he continues to struggle through the end of this year and even into the beginning of next year, he feels like a guy that's got way too much talent to end up as a seventh or eighth inning guy or a middle reliever. And, and uh, you know, if they ultimately determine, say, in half a year or, in, you know, in another half season or something that he's not going to be a guy that they're going to use closing – um, then maybe I think it's worth he's young enough that it's maybe worth lo- taking a look at him as a starter again. But uh, but I think he's just got too much talent. And, and as you guys touched on, guys go through rough patches. And I really do think that, um, you know, having, as you said, Dow, having somebody else there to kind of shoulder a bit of the load uh, would definitely be helpful. I You know, maybe Ryan Tapera becomes that guy next year, but uh, it wouldn't hurt to bring in a veteran by any means. Does Kevin Pillar really fit in long-term plans when it comes to this franchise? I mean, I'm not just asking about next year, because at this stage in the game, if, if there's one thing that this past season has taught fans of the team, it's that it's not easy to go out and find yourself a center fielder. But I'm wondering, Chris, do you see him, again, if we assume that he doesn't necessarily find a way to recapture the form that he had in April before his unfortunate uh, controversial moment that really changed the complexion of his season. If he continues to be what he's been, which is nothing more than a plus defender who is a below average hitter at the plate, can you see the Blue Jays continuing that course with him, or do you see maybe management seriously considering what it takes to spend some of that added payroll money on a center fielder during the offseason? I, I think you're right. I, don't, I think he comes back and he's the center fielder in 2018. And the number one reason I say that is because the Blue Jays have some guys that could potentially take that job in their minor league system. You know, I'm, I'm excited about Anthony Alford, and I think he is a guy that can be a big league center fielder and a very good one. And so, you know, whether it's him or, you know, Teoscar Hernandez, apparently he's got some experience in center. I'm not sure if he's a long-term fit there or not, but for Pilar, I think next year will be the determining factor because he's entering his first year of arbitration. But let me say that again. He's entering his first year of arbitration. I believe he's 29 years old. So he's really entering this point of his career where he's establishing what he's worth as far as, you know, as he's getting closer to free agency. 
So the Blue Jays, knowing that they have these talented pieces in the system that should have more long-term upside, keyword being should, um, once he starts getting more expensive, I don't know that he's somebody that will be around in 2020, uh, maybe not even in 2019. I, I think it'll de- depend on how he performs next year and more importantly, how, how the prospects develop over the next year. I agree with that, but I'm also wondering about the fans that have rallied around Superman, like who's going to be our Superman? You know, all those replays of, of Kevin Pillar catching those balls and, you know, way in the outfield. I think the other day he was playing somewhere and, and there was a bit of a shrubber bush there and he kind of ran in there and there's a whole bunch of replays with that. I think um, fans have really rallied around him. I agree with you. I'm not sure if they keep him around till till 2020, as you were saying, maybe another season, but I think um, it, it's these personalities that fans have sort of um, rallied behind, you know, with, with what we're seeing, unfortunately, as I said, with a, a season that hasn't been that great. It's, it's those, those faces and those, uh, those, those sort of um, characters beyond the players um, that I think fans have really rallied behind. We have, you know, Stro Show, Smoke Show. Um, you get on Twitter and social media, and I think fans are really, uh, you know, they're, they, they like to be engaged with, with the sure. players and, and their nicknames and, and sort of their followers and sort of, um, you know, those, those wacky plays that they're able to do um, to sometimes keep the games alive. And I can, you know what, I completely agree with that. And I think Blue Jays fans are uh, among the most nostalgic and among they value their own as much as anyone. But, uh, you know, I also, the counter argument to that uh, would be the way that people have turned on Jose Batista this year. Yeah. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, he hasn't, he's mm-hmm. had a horrifically bad year. And it's, it kind of makes me sad to look at just how people trash talk him now. You know, the guy's been around for a decade and he's been a key part of the franchise for a long time, but he's just a pin cushion it feels like right now. And it just feels like the year can't, can't finish fast enough for him. And, and fans, you know, I mean, I, I would see next year as being a real uh, crucial one for Kevin Pillar. I, I think that, uh, Uh, One of the things with him is that he needs for his bat to start to carry more of the weight. And uh, one of the really fascinating things uh, from last week was after he made uh, one of the the great catches of the year, uh, his catches have tended to not uh, track as well with the stat cast um, uh, analysis that they do on these catches. And, uh, and so one of the things when they did go back and take a look at this, uh, they've noted the fact that he started to get slower, and they can see that in him running uh, flat out to get catches uh, or to catch balls, and, and he is losing speed. Well, you know, once you start to lose speed and at 29, like these things start to go quickly on you, mm-hmm. and if he doesn't have a bat uh, to, to keep him in the lineup, then... You know, I think that uh, that the Blue Jays fans will turn the page fairly quickly if there's a better option there. I mean, this is uh, fans uh, turn the page on Tony Fernandez, uh, who I think was uh, was was even more beloved. Um, and and you know, mind you, Fernandez made his way back to Toronto within a a couple of years. But but you know, I I, I think. I think that these things come and go very quickly, and and for as beloved as uh, as Pilar is now, I I think that fans would would uh, be ready to turn the page on him uh, if he if he uh, loses a step at all in the field or can't um, uh, improve a bit on what he's been uh, at the plate. And further to that, now I'm I'm wondering if seeing young talent in September. For example, the other night, the debut of uh, Richard Urena in the field and seeing Teoscar Hernandez and then witnessing Carlos Ramirez in extra innings. I mean, I was getting the kinds of tweets and texts from people basically anointing him as the next closer uh, and, and already fantasizing about all sorts of options. You know, fans' imaginations are sparked by what they see day in, day out. And I'm wondering, Dow, when you look at this team, and you look at the parts that exist, and you're looking at it like a puzzle in front of you for 2018, are there enough pieces that with good health, with motivated performances, and with a little bit of luck, you believe will make this team a bona fide contender in the AL East next year? Uh, In the AL East, I think might be a bit of a challenge, but I I think that what we've seen this year is that, uh, that there is kind of this grouping of about eight, 
or so teams in the American League that end up uh, in the mushy middle and that uh, stay in the discussion for the wild card for a long time. So, you know, I mean, I think that uh, what is what was the mantra for years was just people wanted to see meaningful baseball. And strangely enough, uh, about three weeks ago, we were still talking about meaningful baseball for a team that had never been above 500 this year. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think with uh, maybe just the the, the right – changes to the roster um, and some good health on, on the part of a couple of players, I think that you could be looking at a team that, again, could be an 83-win true talent team uh, and a couple of things play their way and all of a sudden that's uh, an 88-win team and you're uh, you're in the postseason. So, um, you know, I, I, I mean, the other side of looking at that is that there's a lot of bad teams like really bad teams right now <laughs> that are chasing down a playoff spot and that uh, that uh, second uh, or that uh, visitor spot in the in, in the wild card game. But you know, I mean, uh, I think that this is more uh, this is less a fluke this year that and more of a sign of the way that things are going to go. Uh, I think that you're going to see a lot more uh, competitive teams uh, and uh, sort of in that. Uh, 78 to 86 win range and I think the Blue Jays can definitely uh, even with what they have uh, right now in the system get back to that place so with some modest additions could put themselves into the picture I just think that Boston and New York are starting to uh, potentially create a little separation uh, at this point but with the way that Boston goes they'll probably end up finishing last next year that's uh, sort of the trend with them. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I, you know, the Yankees. I wonder about their pitching, but uh, there's no denying that their their offense is scary and exciting. And um, but yeah, I agree with you completely. I think uh, you know, looking, <laughs> I was listening to the broadcast today, and they're talking about the Twins and uh, you know the Twins being back in a position of the Angels, and I just feel like those rosters are so flawed. And all mm-hmm. I could think was like, why? Why aren't we in the middle of this? Like, like so how? True. How are the Angels and Twins the guys that are battling? I mean, there's more than that, but it just kind of just makes me shake my head. It's, you know, if you, you know, if Osuna, I'm not not throwing it on him by any means, but you know, if he blows three or four less games and Aaron Sanchez is healthy this year, then we're right in the middle of the mix. So I, I think uh, I don't think there's any reason for fans to go, oh, there's no nothing to nothing to cheer about in 2018. Let's just tear it down. Yeah, I think you're right with the addition of the second wild card. You know, thinking about the the 2000, the, the decades through the 2000s, there would have been a lot of teams that would have been in that in wild card mix if they had introduced that second one earlier on. Well, and we know in this day and age, especially most purists, frustratingly so, not big fans of the wild card opportunities. But we know that in an era of baseball, where if you're a mediocre team playing in this league, you have a chance to be in it right until the end. Not unless something happens where you just spiral out of control, unfortunately, the way this Blue Jays team has. And I've taken a personal shot from this because I used to get all enthusiastic and tell people about the number of games were back, even though deep in my heart I knew there was little chance it was going to happen. But when you stop contending like this altogether, all you really have left, I think you'll agree, is a lot of hope. And I'm wondering, Ainka, as someone who is an entrepreneur, a businesswoman, who runs a company, if you were in charge of this franchise and understood that there was an opportunity to, as they say, rebuild and compete, wouldn't this be the best argument for you to put forth an investment and spend more money knowing how it would be received by fans alike, as well as in terms of your own long-term prospects to be competitive in this market? Yeah, I think that's definitely the smart business plan to, to you know look at your, your salaries, look at, you know, who you can trade. I mean, maybe the person you're trading is, uh, you know, there's that that comment everyone's making about the Jays is that we have one of the oldest teams in the league. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to have to be a, a couple of shuffling uh, pieces going on there. You also don't want a, a team that's just heavily loaded with veterans. You want to bring in some of your rookies or your call up some of your guys from the, the minor league and balance it out a bit. But I think we're going to see a very different team, I believe, next season. Um if if the Jays want to head into the direction of winning games, I don't think that what we're seeing now and who we have now 
as it stands, I don't think that's going to get us to where we want to be uh, winning games in the future. So yes, I, I think definitely if it's a if it's an issue of of looking at uh, you know what their 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 budget is or the the money that they need to spend on the players that we need. Uh, I think that's probably what we're going to have to do. I mean, they are raising prices next season, which I don't understand why uh, they're raising them. I think it was 17% by 70% um, when this season was so was really bad, you know. So I think a smart, you know, in, in terms of business sense would be to, to see, you know, who we can get, how we can put the pieces together to have a, a solid team that's winning games for next season. And if that it means you know, spending a little bit more money on a, a key player or, you know, seeing if we get a couple of players um, to fit the roles that we need and the, the areas on the team that we're not doing well. And, I mean, we need some good hitters. Our, our bats have been cold. Um, we have some home runs here and there from some key players now, but, I mean, we need them. We need consistent hitters. We need consistent, uh, you know, hits. We also uh, need to make sure that we're not expanding and, and, and depleting our, our, our bullpen and our, our pitchers. Like, there's a lot of things I think that the Jays will have to look at for next season. But, yes, money definitely is, is going to be a key factor in this equation. I read an article the other day that said, you know, uh, let's, let's uh, look at, um, you know, what, what would happen if we were able to speculate and, and possibly get someone like a Giancarlo um, you know, Stanton from uh, Miami Marlins. I mean, you know, what would it be? What would the Jays look like if we got a, a big top-tier player? I think there's a lot of things the Jays are just going to have to look at, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Money is going to have to be an issue if we want to, to win games moving on into the future. And and money and moving on, I think, uh, it's a really good point. And, and uh, frankly, uh, uh, some of the investment uh, that they might have to do is is – uh, basically, to look at Troy Chulewitzki as a sunk cost at this point, and uh, and kind of budget for for that. And you know, I think that the, they have to be really cautious about what they expect out of him, uh, if anything at all. And, and in some ways, if if the team were to start to make a uh, a turn and uh, and to to head into a different direction. Uh, I think that I, I just don't see Troy Tulowitzki being a part of uh, of the next great Blue Jays team, uh, in spite of the fact that he does still have a, a bunch of money and a bunch of years left. So that's going to be, I think, something for them to to sort out and figure out whether or not if they they are willing to just accept the sunk costs that you know that's. Um, that's what it took to to win in 2015 and 2016, but uh, but it's time to move on. Yeah, and I think as this next wave of prospects unfolds, you know, you you look at the right side of the infield now. Is it's uh, you know, in an ideal scenario, it would have been Donaldson and Tulowitzki, um, and I, you know, maybe Donald Donaldson gets re-signed. Um, I I I wouldn't put my money on it, but you know, you're looking at the 2019 season. I'd fully expect to see Bichette and Guerrero over there. Or maybe Hogan Warmoth, maybe that's a bit early for him. But you know, there's a, a wave of right side infielders that are that are coming for sure with that case. So, uh, you know, touching on Tulowitzki, I, I agree. I mean, as much I'd like to see him at least get a chance to play next year and maybe potentially, um, maybe potentially parlay himself into some sort of situation where we can trade him and eat a bunch of money. You know, the, speaking of Stanton, it would be awesome if you could somehow convince the Marlins to, to, <laughs> to take yeah. the whiskey back in the sand deal. And, uh, but uh, that's, you know, it's fun to dream, I guess. Well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, a few days ago, I ran a poll on my Twitter feed, asked the question, which of these underachieving or hurt players would you most like to see rebound in 2018? And I listed Bautista, knowing full well that there was a good chance he's not even going to be back. In fact, it's a certainty, knowing the kind of year he's had and the direction the team's had. I listed Bautista, Estrada, Travis, and Tilowitzki. Tilowitzki won the poll. 36% of the 300 followers on my feed that voted for this clearly want to see him succeed. And I'm wondering now, if you were to find yourself in a position where you, as an organization, decided to move in a new direction... Would you not then also apply it to someone like Andres Morales, a player that, for all intents and purposes, is a one-dimensional asset? And when you're a team that has elite prospects on the horizon and you want to spend money, don't you owe it to the fans to invest in a team that's exciting, fast, young? Yeah, I mean, Kendry certainly isn't flattered by the fact uh, that 
he he's surrounded by a lot of other guys who are uh, maybe not as slow as him, but not much faster. And even some of the guys who you would look at and think of as like good athletes, like Batista, like Donaldson, uh, aren't necessarily the most fleet of foot. Um, you know, uh, Kendrys, I is, uh, I, I think the twenty-two million dollars left uh, over the next two years is not immovable. Um, uh, but you're right, he is sort of a, a one-dimensional player who would basically only have appeal to about eleven teams. Um, and uh, so, uh, I I suspect that he'll be back. Um, for next year, I just because I don't necessarily see that anyone would want to uh, to move him uh, or move uh, on him at this point, and and maybe you just hope that with something better around him uh, or or a, a, a surrounding cast that maybe doesn't um, emulate some of his worst attributes, that he won't look quite as bad, um, but. You know, I, I mean, it's funny for a guy who's going to hit 30 homers and and drive in 100 runs, which is pretty much precisely what they brought him in here to do. Um, it 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 hasn't uh, felt like much of a success this year. No, no, yeah, yeah. And once again, Dow, I think you t- you touched on all my points, and, and I think I agree. I think he'll be back next year. I did an article a few weeks ago about him, and I took a real close look. It's just the AL, um, you know, the American League teams that would use him as DH. And I, I could only find two that I could even really think of. And, of course, rosters can change. But I just don't see there being anyone who really wants to add another one-dimensional player to their roster, uh, a guy like that. But, you know, and I think the Blue Jays front office can easily take his numbers and, and spin it. And, you know, it maybe it felt bad, but uh, – the guy hit 30 home runs, and he hit, you know, he had almost 100 RBIs. And, you know, he did. He's done his career. His numbers are pretty much right in line with his career norms. And and uh, as much as it's been frustrating to watch him hit into double plays, I completely agree that it's been exacerbated by the fact that, that there are so many other guys that with a similar, similar skill set that aren't hitting for average or mm-hmm. that aren't, uh, you know, creating anything on the base paths. And uh, with a few other, with a little more balance in the lineup, he, he probably won't feel quite as painful. But there's still going to be a lot of times where we're, throwing our glass down on the table and going, not a double play now. Uh, it's just, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. I just think we're in for it for another two years, but he, it could be worse. It could, uh, you know, he does offer some value for sure. He came here with the perception of being this amazing value. And unfortunately, as Dow alluded to, it hasn't felt like it at all. There was this feeling that at one point in the season, it looked as though he would be that recipe for success, but uh, he's not going to reach 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, and he's likely going to finish with an on-base percentage under 300. And I'm wondering, Chris, what does it say about the fact that your three most valuable players, assuming you go with Stroman, Osuna, and Smoke, collectively are making about one-fifth, maybe even one-tenth, of what your highest-paid players like Tulowitzki, Bautista, and Martin have failed to bring to the table. I mean, is that just a sad baseball irony that that's the way things seem to work all the time? You know, it seems like the most successful teams have a system in place where they've got a nice balance of youngsters and expensive veterans. You know, you're talking about the Red Sox, they're a great example. You know, Mookie Betts and Xander Bogertz, they're, they're very cheap. And then you look at, and you know, even Chris Sale is cheap compared to the value that he brings to the table. But then you've got guys that are making a lot more money like the Hanley Ramirez or, you know, the Rick Purcellos, the David Prices and, and the, all the ones that I just listed haven't really been bringing a ton of value, but you know, it, it just kind of goes that way. It's frustrating, you know, at times when you're, you know, especially the guys like Tulowitzki, you know, I think the reason probably they won your poll is that people go, we're paying this guy $20 million and we got mm-hmm. nothing for it. Right. And I think that's the part that brings the most frustration for it, for everyone is, you look at the money that just was spent on Troy Tulowitzki, on Russell Martin, and on on Jose Bautista this season, and think about and you start dreaming about how it could have been spent in other ways, and thinking about what the team could have been. Well, that's not re- usually the reality. Unfortunately, we've been tremendously lucky to get to the kind of production that we got out of the smoke for this contract that we were all criticizing this time last year. Um, and you know, youngsters are youngsters, and they're always going to bring value in their pre-arbitration or in their first year of arbitration. So when they're, you know, talented youngsters like the, the Strowmans and the Osunas. So that part doesn't bug me as much as it bugs me to think about what maybe we could have done with the money for Tulo. 
And of course, sabermetrics has this way of basically magnifying what we really know. And if there's one thing I always say, a negative war is a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing in so many ways because when you look at the amount that ultimately is being distributed at high-end portion of your roster and not getting value, I mean, Jose Bautista, negative one-and-a-half war. Kendris Morales is going to finish with a negative war. Troy Tilowitzki, I believe, is... That the fans hope I think he's a positive. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Tulitsky's positive point one or something. Wow, that's just that, that should be. That, I might name this episode that the, the zero point one. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's all jump for joy that all this money that we know could have been spent on assets that would have. I mean, I, I mentioned this in a conversation I had with you, Chris, where even if if they had had mediocre years, like completely average years, like asking Bautista at two fifty with twenty home runs and 86 RBIs and a 330 on base percentage, things like that would have made a, a, a huge difference in the long run with this team this year. And that's why I do believe the notion that next year it'll they'll be hard-pressed to duplicate the caliber of this kind of frustrating, gut-wrenching baseball. And I think all three of you, of you will agree at the end that us fans being asked to keep the faith for one more year is not an unreasonable request. But what is important is that this management group shows the fans that they are that their words are not just words, that they are actually willing to back up what they're promoting and what they're presenting for the fans as something they can invest in emotionally. Because I, I'm hard-pressed to remember a baseball year, and I've been through some tough Blue Jays baseball years, both pre-World Series and post-World Series. I'm really hard-pressed to remember a time when I, I've endured this kind of a frustrating season, both on a micro level, level with individual games and also in, in terms of a total season in a year where, as you said it earlier, Chris, we're witnessing the Minnesota Twins battling the L.A. Angels. I mean, that's like some kind of really bad baseball joke, isn't it? I would say so. <laughs> Let's go around the table now and uh, and check in with what everyone's up to. We're going to start with, uh, with Dow, and then we'll go with Ainka and Chris. So you can find me on uh, sportsnet.ca, usually Friday afternoon, uh, sometimes Friday morning if I send my piece in on time, which I usually do, but sometimes I let it sit in my outbox for three hours without realizing (laughs) it. So, um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, so sportsnet on uh, Fridays, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure what I'm writing on this Friday. So, That'll be an adventure. And uh, otherwise, um, I'm on uh, Twitter far too much. It's uh, Dow Steve or at Dow Steve. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, pretty much me in a nutshell. So you can find Chiefs for Sports on social media. We're on Instagram, all one word, um, at Chiefs for Sports, as well as Twitter, same thing. We're on Facebook, and we also have, we also post videos of our interviews with women in sports. On our YouTube channel, just uh, go on Google and you know type in Shoes for Sports, and it will pop up there. What I'm working on next is our next event, which will look at women's sports and fan engagement, and uh, that's going to be um, late fall. That's what I'm going to say because mm-hmm. we're still putting things in place, but it'll be late fall. It'll be a great discussion. We'll have different uh, women in the industry and sports industry different voices at the table talking about that very topic, and uh, I'm looking forward to discussion and. Uh, We'll be promoting it on our social media platform, so stay tuned to check out our social media and uh, you know look out for the event details. Yeah, and you can find uh, my work in, at uh, jaysjournal.com, and we've got all kinds of great writers that uh, work for the site there that are putting out daily content. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Baseball for Brains, Baseball number four Brains. and I'm not nowhere near as active as Dal, but I sure enjoy following along with his clips during the game. I personally think you're all Twitter geeks, and there's nothing wrong with it at all, especially when it comes to sports entertainment. It is the the place to be. This has been a fantastic roundtable. I want to thank all three of you for taking the time. You know, I've been off for four or five days. It's been a tumultuous time in the world, but it's certainly nice to know that there'll be people tuning in and listening to what the three of you had to say. And boy, did you ever have a lot to say about stuff that really matters. Let's see what happens. Looking forward to having all three of you on the next roundtable. You've been listening to Ainka Jess of She's for Sports, Dow of Steve of Rogers Sportsnet, and Chris Henderson, site expert at Jay's Journal. Thank you for listening to the Jay's Journal Roundtable podcast. Thanks, Ari. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks a lot.